This episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to you by the 2022 Petrus Development Conference. Join Catholic fundraising professionals in Naples, Florida this June to build the tools and community that make fundraising enjoyable and fulfilling. For more details and to register, go to petrusdevelopment.com slash pdc22 and use the coupon code PILLAR for $50 off your conference registration. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and in this special Holy Week Sacred Triduum episode of the Pillar Podcast, I am joined by my podcasting partner and good friend, Ed Condon. How you doing, J.D.? Oh, thanks for asking, Ed. I'm doing very well. Um, I'm, I'm doing well, and actually, I've, I've been having... I, I told you that I would tell some stories on the show, so I'll tell them in a little bit. But first, uh, first, uh, first, how are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. I, I'm doing fine. It is uh, Maundy Thursday as we record this. I am looking forward to kicking off the Triduum. Uh, it's it's always a Easter weekend is always. Um, I mean, it's always a wonderful time, but I mean, it really is a stacked schedule. For my wife and I, how we tend to do things like there is pretty much almost every hour of the day is accounted for. I mean, I'll, I'll get up tomorrow um, to make sure the newsletter goes out and everything. But I mean, after that, it's pr- I mean, from tonight on forward till the end of the Easter vigil and then a meal after that, I you know, I, it's pretty wall to wall. And I like it that way. Um, it's it, it is I, I find the perpetual motion helps to keep me in in the triduum keep me focused and and i really like that um it's it's a little bit of a bummer because also you know um easter weekend also tends to be there there tends to be sort of family that come through town and things and i um i found out yesterday that i've got a a a cousin and his wife are in town for the weekend and i'm probably not going to get to see them because between um all of the all of the easter stuff uh, my wife and i are going to be doing i also have to make a run to the airport um, to pick someone up on Friday night. And I, you know, it's, it's a very, very busy weekend. And every year I kind of wish it was longer and wish I had more hours in the day and also am grateful for the, for the fullness of it, if that makes sense. It does make sense, Ed, and I can appreciate that. I'll I'll tell you, I, I find, I find fascinating the fullness of that. Um, because I, I always find that during the Trudeauum, there are certain periods of time in which I am sort of I feel as if I'm in this strange kind of um, limbo. So, um, you know, the evening of Good Friday, if one is not at a at a, at a liturgical service of some kind, um, and um, you will find as the child gets older that, um, and should the child be blessed with siblings, you will find that they're the negotiation about sort of the the liturgical choices regarding the sacred triduum some somehow change because the question becomes sort of how much can the children um, endure as it were and uh, and so I always find that there are these times during the sacred triduum where like um, I'm not quite really sure what to do with myself you know it's after it's 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 after three o'clock or let's say after four o'clock on Good Friday darkness has covered the the earth um, the curtain has been torn in two. Um, we have um, m- memorialized that the Lord has been um, laid in a tomb, and uh, and then what should I do uh, with the with the afternoon? I mean, certainly I shouldn't flip on a game. It seems to me, um, and uh, you know, I suppose one can um, <clears throat> play Uno, um, but uh, I-, I always feel like on uh, Good Friday in the afternoon and evening, and then on Holy Saturday, sort of during the day, I, I feel like the entire day is spent putzing in anticipation of the Easter Vigil, just kind of putzing around in anticipation of something that will start, you know, in the evening. And so I, 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 we obviously have very different experiences of the Sacred Triduum, but I think I'm probably not the only one with a, with a putzing experience. Possibly not, but you're, I mean, you're right to say it's a strange time. I mean, have, have you, I'm, I'm asking in a sense, have you been reading the draft of my newsletter? I have read the draft of your newsletter, yes. Top to bottom? Uh, I saw that the end of your newsletter has a long reading that I will read, uh, a long reading from the Office of Readings that I I will read, but I must admit that I haven't read it yet, but I will. No, I did. Well, the reason I asked is because the opening of that 
homily, which is a homily for Holy Saturday from an ancient and unknown author, is the opening line is something strange is happening. Right. And it's all about the being at the eye of the cosmic storm of salvation that is holy, you know, on Holy Saturday, that Mm -hmm. Good Friday has happened. um, Easter Sunday has not yet arrived that, you know, Christ has descended into hell to free those there. And, you know, what do you? What do you do with that? What do you, you know, what is going on right now? Right, exactly. Like, I mean, right. Like, you want to, want to, I don't know, maybe cleaning? I mean, so were I like a better man with a better interior life, I suppose I could say, well, I spend the entire time in holy contemplation, but I'm not. And also, you know, if you have children, you have children. And uh, and so uh, maybe cleaning, I don't know, or something, but it's always... It's always sort of like, well, I don't think we should be doing Legos right now, but I don't, should we be doing Legos right now? And should I be making a Lego Calvary? And, uh, you know, um, I don't have enough greens I don't, for the hill. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about, a, I don't know about the, the, the relative piety versus. <laughs> I know, um, this is the question. Is, of a Lego Does my Lego Calvary? construction need to be pious? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to spend a goodish portion of Holy Saturday with my wife and and I'm sure you're right that this will this will change over the years as the child gets bigger but at least now that she's you know around 6 months and still fits in I can still restrain her in a chair when I want to um we'd spend spend a goodish portion of the day preparing for the vigil be, be it dressing the church and you know stuff like that um there's a lot of there's a lot of cleaning around of the church itself that that happens on holy saturday that but helps you're a better parishioner than i am by a long shot which is funny because we all know how you feel about the parish but you are a better parishioner than i am by a long shot Obviously. i'm not i'm because i never clean the church i well I don't, this is the only time, don't my... get carried away this is the only time of the year i do it um and it, it again this is not a selfless act on my part it's because i I look forward to the Easter Vigil every year. It is, I mean, it is the the night of nights. It is the it yeah, is the great. apex of our of our liturgical life. It is all of those things. And I guess I'm lucky that I've spent the last I don't know, not my whole life, but I have spent. Well, no, that's not true. My whole life, I think, the Easter Triduum has been a big deal for my family. Um, it's just how I was raised, and. I, you know, we've done different things over, you know, when I was a kid growing up, we had different things that we did at different times. You know, when we lived in um, Chicago, um, my my family would up sticks for Easter weekend and we'd all go down to the University of Notre Dame. And my grandparents and um, aunts and uncles and a bevy of cousins would usually meet us there. And we would do the Triduum there together as an extended family, which I remember vividly and enjoyed greatly. And, you know, we did other things when we were in London, but it, it's always been... A big deal, and uh, it's one of the great um, gifts that my parents gave me was a, was an appreciation of of not just the idea of mass on Sunday for Easter, but the idea of the Triduum as a as a complete time sure. apart. Um, sure, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I, I I would say that I would say the same is true, sort of liturgically and devotionally. I just I don't always know. Uh, in my experience, I just don't always know. You know, I don't know. It's a, this is a strange time. This time in which the tabernacles. Um, this time in which the tabernacle is empty. I mean, is there anything, you know, and yes, uh, I like on Good Friday, late in the night in Good Friday to go to the altar of repose and spend some time there. And um, um, there's a certain kind of meditative stillness to that. But um, but this is a strange time. And already with this, when the statues are covered and, um, and uh, we're preparing, as I say, for darkness to cover the face of the earth, it's just... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an it's there's a. I wish I were Gerard Manley Hopkins, or I could recite him at will because there is a sort of. It's almost atmospheric, the Triduum, isn't it? There's almost a kind of a chargedness. Um, yes, I, in the I, air. I, I th- it is. I think the, the sensation of living the Triduum is is something palpable. That there is a, there is a something in the air, which is I think one of the reasons why I love this this homily for Holy Saturday so much is that it's the. It's it's the writing that um, I found that best encapsulates that that sense of there's something tangible to the time, and I, yeah. I love that. as you know, JD, time matters to me, and the passage of time and the measurement of time and um, the time is never the time concept at all. of time. Ed, you can Pardon? never ever leave, you know, without leaving a piece of you. And our lives are forever. T- <laughs> Do you know what I'm doing there? Is this days of our lives or something? No, it's uh, really. 
It's a wonderful, know. it's a great Smashing Pumpkins song. Time is never time oh, at all. I, no, can, I was never a Smashing Pumpkins you, they're guy. never into the Smashing Pumpkins. No, it's really uh, uh, weird. There, there's, a, there's a big bucket of things from our generation that I just totally, like Dave Matthews Band, Smashing oh, Pumpkins. All, Good. They're, they're much of a munchest to me. It's all just kind of like, <laughs> I don't. Like songs to listen to if you want to kill the mood on a date is kind of the bucket I would put that music in. Yeah, but if you didn't have a date, then it was songs to listen to while everyone else was on a date. So, well, and, you know. and there is our difference in high school experience <laughs> in a nutshell. That's right. Well, okay, you, you've, you've won that one. Speaking of you've won that one, um, this is kind of a, this is, this being our Holy Week uh, special, as it were, this is kind of a show, a show... Um, in, in which uh, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. And, um, you know, the past few shows we've been talking about any manner of things, and we've gotten really positive feedback from people who say they've been enjoying our conversations, that we've have been a little bit more free-flowing and outside of the news, and we may do that. Although I promised you I would tell the story of the um, the Real Housewives. Did I promise you I'd tell the story of the Real Housewives of New York City fight that I saw? Oh, yes, uh, you did. Well, because this is, speaking of dates, you, you, you did that thing that you and I often threaten to do, but rarely does any one of us actually do it, which is you said, I'm going to down tools for an entire weekend, Friday afternoon to Sunday evening. It's true. And you went on basically an extended date with your wife, which I applaud. I, I did. I, I took my wife and I, um, but before I tell, but I'll talk about this, but before I do, I have to explain something else to you about this show. Um, we have gotten some, a lot of positive feedback lately, actually, which I'm very grateful for about the content of the show and conversations that we've been having and people sort of weighing in. And I love that. I love engagement. But I have also been chastised. I was chastised by a listener who posited, Ed, um, who posited that I have a periodic tendency um, or an occasional tendency, I suppose, to uh, to cut you off or to speak over you. And um, and I dispute that. I, In fact, I went back and I listened to last week's show and um, I found that, in fact, you were more likely to begin speaking before I was done with the sentence than I was likely to begin speaking when you were done with the sentence. And I also ran the time figures, and you, and um, we were speaking for almost the exact same amount of time during the show. So I call that into question. But, you know, this this listener chastised me. And when I raised this to you earlier this week, you didn't sort of rush to my defense and reassure me that this isn't true. And uh, and so um, I have decided that this week I'm going to track uh, carefully. I I have resolved um, never again, Ed, never again shall I cut you off during this show. And I'll track um, if I do cut you off. I'll make a little hash mark, and um, and you can track too, so that you can ensure that I'm accurate about this. And if it, it happens that I have um, spoken over you, uh, you know. M- more times than is appropriate. I'll, I'll give. I'll figure out some kind of a little prize. I'll, I'll give you at the end to, as restitution. Well, that's um, that's very big of you, JD. I I don't anticipate it being a problem this week, since as you said, we're we're, we're not operating off of a a slate of topics that um, about which either of us I think has, has strong and urgent opinions that need to be given. And I think perhaps I I don't know. I I rarely listen to this show back, but I I have heard that feedback too. In fact, um, other Catholic podcasts have taken uh, entire segments of their shows dedicated to your alleged propensity for filibustering me and talking. I can I can send you some if you'd like. I wouldn't. Um, I don't have the thick enough skin for that. I wouldn't. But I I I think it is merely because when they're. When, when we are discussing things about which we have strong feelings and um, I, ideas we wish to convey, th- there is that tendency, possibly. Well, there won't be. Uh, the, uh, please allow me to apologize to you in public uh, in front of the listening audience here. Please allow me to tell you, Ed, that any time I have ever um, cut you off or, or spoken over you or in any way diminished the significance of what you have to say on this show, um, I repent. And, um, and I firmly resolve... Uh, to to interrupt no more. Well, it's kind of you, but again, I I don't view I've never taken it as a diminishment of what I may have to say. Merely an excess of enthusiasm on your part for the subject matter, and I've always invited people who flagged this to my attention to consider that really the conversations that we have on the show are are to be viewed as a whole. It's not a competition <laughs> that we are presenting very often um, a, a composite, an aggregate view. Of, of the two of us and and it, it it's not a question of scorekeeping it doesn't matter that you know we are a team are you finished <laughs> 
Yes, we are a team, and I'm, and that's very well said. Now, uh, as you were asking, and again, we're, if you don't like the, uh, if you don't like small talk, I, we're going to small talk for a little while because some people do. Um, as I said, so at Christmas time, um, my wife and I were driving around, listening to, uh, looking at Christmas lights with the kids, you know, as you do, and, and listening to Christmas music on the radio. And my wife said something that threw me for a loop or that I radically uh, misunderstood, dramatically misunderstood, in fact, because uh, we were we were listening to, uh, you know, the Christmas music on the radio. And suddenly we were listening to Josh Groban singing um, uh, Little Drummer Boy, you know, bum 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 And uh, question. Yes, sir. Who is Josh Groban? Josh Groban is a um, a well-known American singer of both Christmas song standards and other kind of, uh, I don't even know how to just, I mean, I honestly don't Would know how to describe it. he fit in the genre of sort of um, emo boy with a guitar? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Josh Groban is like he's a, a kind of Ed Sheeran figure. No, he's a Broadway musician lacking a play. I mean, ah, jo- Josh Groban okay. is a sort of strong, he, he's in the he's in the vein of Bocelli. Actually, I think he got to start by filling in for Bocelli somewhere or something like that. But huh. J- Josh Groban is our age, but in the vein sort of of Bocelli. But, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, in, in that sort of, in that sort of view universe you know what okay. i mean okay thank you so okay so he puts out christmas albums and he puts out albums of show tunes and he puts out albums of sort of classic standards and then he puts out albums of his own stuff i think as well but it's all sort of that kind of that that kind of thing right so anywho um josh groban is singing little drummer boy and mrs flynn says to me boy i really like that josh groban i i'm a big fan i really like his voice and um, and I took that to mean that she really liked Josh Groban and was a big fan. And uh, and so I thought, well, um, you know, there's been a pandemic on, and there have been there's been precious little live music in in our lives. You know, we often go to concerts and stuff, but there's been precious little live music in our lives. And so let me see, um, you know, if Josh Groban, who apparently my wife is a big fan of, is coming to to Denver where we live. And I looked, and uh, he isn't. Josh Groban has had not been touring and had not planned to return resume touring. Um, but he was going to do, um, in April, three shows at the Radio City Music Hall. And, uh, and I thought, well, my wife is a big fan of Josh Groban, apparently. And, uh, and you know, she works hard with these kids, and she deserves a break. And so um, I will get her two tickets to go see this Josh Groban, whom she loves. And, uh, and I'll tell her, you know, take a friend. Go, go, you know, go to New York and see Josh Groban at Radio City Music Hall and take a friend, and I'll watch the kids. And so I bought, you know, these tickets, and I gave them to her on Christmas, and she kind of opened them up, and she said, well... What what's this? Why would you think I want to go and see Josh Groban? <laughs> I said, "Well, you love Josh Groban," and she said, "I do." And I said, "Yeah, you told me." She said, "Well, I did love that that Christmas song," and I said, "Oh, well." But you know, she she wasn't giving up on New York. She said, "But I'll go. Oh, I really like. I'll go. I'm, I'll go. I'm there." You know. So uh, okay. So. Um, you know, this is I sort of whiffed on that one, but but then my wife is very very kind, and she says, you know, I'd really really like to go with you. I mean, that's the friend I'd like to take is you. And I thought, wow, that's very beautiful and very kind and and good, and I'd like to go with you too. And uh, we don't we have not traveled very often together by ourselves because we have had some trouble finding um, people who can watch the kids. I, I, our kids have some particularities, as I think you know. And so um, so my sister agreed to watch the kids, and this was actually going to be like the this was gonna, this was the first trip that we took as um you know in our marriage as just by ourselves since really the kids were born you know so it was cool and you um, went to new york city we went to new york city which i love new york and we both love new york and it was cool very great and we, we we had a heck of a weekend but it was all sort of centered around my misunderstanding of the words i love josh groban um and uh and so J- the josh groban concert was fascinating Ed, because josh groban's target demographic is effectively um uh, I, I want to say this diplomatically. Josh Groban's uh, target demographic is effectively women of a certain age and their um, begrudgingly accompaniment husbands and uh, accompanying husbands. And so... Um, are, are, are we now of a certain age? No, is... We're not. We're, we're not. Okay. We're, we're still... Josh Groban is our age and he's sort of like... Josh Groban's fans, Josh Groban's our age, and, uh, and and his fans are sort of like, oh, boy, that young man is so sweet and so handsome, and his voice is like <laughs> butter or a dream. And, uh, and so Josh, a Josh Groban concert, I learned, is effectively Josh Groban singing beautiful songs with a beautiful voice um, and uh, and then sort of hamming it up for his grandma. And uh, his grandma just eating... Oh, 
you know, eating out of the palm of his hand effectively. And Josh Groban, oh, I learned, can effectively say or do anything at a Josh Groban concert. And the women who are there, because they're in love with him, will find it endearing and beautiful and cute. And so he just yucks it up for two and a half hours and sing some nice songs and he had some guests come and he had a marching band come and Cindy Lauper was there to sing a song which was really surprising um, pray for Cindy Lauper by the way it was not my impression that she's doing well um, but uh, you know it was just this sort of extravaganza of Josh Groban yucking it up singing some songs and uh, and then running through the crowd from time to time and uh, and the, and people were I mean I mean, you would have thought we were at a Jay-Z show. I mean, people were just ecstatic. And I mean, just, so it, it was amazing. It was the best people watching that I have had in quite some time. Mrs. Flynn felt the same way. And I, I'm glad that it provided um, a good shared experience for you, even <laughs> yes. if neither one of you were actually as keen on Josh Groban as perhaps previously advertised. Well, no, but now... Now you're wait now you now you're Grobenites or whatever. No, I don't think we're Grobenator. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but uh, no. But I would definitely, uh, I would definitely see Josh Groban again because the Josh Groban experience, uh, as it were, uh, it really oughtn't be missed. It's really, it's 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 really something remarkable. That, and, that, uh, and that sounds, was my. I mean, I will not go to a Josh Groban concert, and I'm absolutely not going to New York City if I have the opportunity <laughs> to take my wife away for a weekend. But I, this, I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed hearing about that. And no, the story you were going to tell, and perhaps we we don't want to trespass on our listeners' attention too much, but perhaps you could tell it succinctly because I found it fascinating was the, did I not tell the Josh Groban story succinctly I'm sorry that's one interruption did I not tell the Josh Groban story succinctly that's two uh no it's not that I just I, I don't want us to accidentally just do half an hour of of the of the chats I guess we're getting close I know we are no but what I the reason I knew you were having fun in New York and I had forgotten that you were going away for the weekend is because well, I, I guess part of me, when you said that that's what you're going to do, I just assumed you didn't mean it. Um, because <laughs> that I was going, but that I would be working. I sort yeah, of, obviously. In fact, Mrs. Flynn said to me, she's, she, like, we were getting ready to go. And, you know, I said, I'm bringing, I'm bringing my computer in case there's an emergency. And basically, like, my shorthand is I basically say, and, and you do this too. And if you're in Catholic journalism, you just have to think about these things. So what I said to her is, I'm bringing my laptop in case the Pope dies, right? Because if the Pope dies, we got to get to work. Right. And uh, and the point I was trying to make to her is that's the only kind of emergency that could pull me away. But Mrs. Flynn, knowing me, said like, well, you know, um, if you want to work a little bit in the mornings, it, it's okay. I, you know, I, I mean, she was being very generous, but I resolved not to. And I, tr- I, I endeavored to keep that resolution. So I didn't really do much. No. And I, I, I applaud that. And no, but the reason I wanted to hear the, the desperate housewives of New York tale was because I mistakenly interrupted your weekend with, um, a, a tart observation about something I read in a, in another publication and wanted your <laughs> wanted your opinion on and you sent me back a picture of a, a plate of food uh, and and I that jogged my memory to realize that you were in New York and you were dining out and you know I was interrupting your your perhaps one nice meal out with your wife and I and I apologize for that. But then you went on this long kink about how they had put provolone in with the uh, Oh, it was with, really. I was really frustrating. I ordered for, this with, really was nice it prosciutto rabbit wrapped line. or was it bacon wrapped? It, it was, was soprasetta wrapped. Um, soprasetta wrapped ba- uh, rabbit line, yeah. and uh, it would have been delicious except there was this weird piece of prosciutto hanging out in it that just. Yeah. Wait, there's a weird piece of prosciutto, or there's a weird oh, piece excuse of me, pro- there's a weird piece of of of, 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 of provolone, provolone in there, a right. provolone cheese in there that nothing. Okay, was and, doing and nothing. I and I listened to this tale and I sympathized <laughs> with you broadly. This is, I would argue, the wrong. The wrong meat or the wrong dairy component for this particular animal and this particular. I don't think any cheese belonged on that plate, actually. And no, I, like I, I wouldn't necessarily either. But anyway, so I heard this out, and and I I understood this to be pretty much the the, the highlight of that meal, if not your trip. <laughs> and lo and behold, you start tweeting about having seen some sort of full on crazy person dust up in the restaurant and. I was I was a little annoyed, frankly, JD, that I got forty minutes on the provolone and I didn't hear a word about elbows being thrown and glasses being smashed in the restaurant, and I, I just feel like I got shortchanged. That's all. Well, what happened was that's fair. What happened was uh, okay. So we went uh, we went to a restaurant and um, and it was a nice restaurant and um, uh, you know you had to make a reservation. You had to make a reservation through this 
online reservation system that indicated when you made the reservation that um, parties of two or more would be asked to leave their table after two hours and parties of three or more would be asked after two and a half hours, whatever, there, that there would be some need of sort of vacating the table because the restaurant needed to turn the tables over. It was a very small restaurant and, you know, they, they need to make money. So you, you had to check a box actually that said you agreed to that. So my wife and I were seated in a kind of um, exclave of the restaurant, this little sort of tent thing out on the sidewalk, which was really quite lovely. And uh, and it's the, not were true. Just, it's not lovely to eat on the streets of no, New York it, City. But it carry was on. because, um, okay, it was. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just interjecting from time to time. Oh, That's fair. my role in this. Fair. So uh, wow. So we were. You asked for the story. So we were. Uh, we ate out there, and there were only four tables out there. You know, and so we could hear this table right behind my wife. This these two ladies who were there just complaining about the, while they were eating they were complaining about very many things their children their jobs their husbands um their dogs their peloton all of the things they were just complaining you know the whole time and it was kind of just you know we weren't eavesdropping but you could hear them and as yeah, the wine they, they are flowed, they are complaining at a table next to you in new york so of course yeah. you could hear them you could probably mm-hmm. hear them from the table in the restaurant next door i'm sure probably yeah so uh okay so uh, the maitre d comes up to them at some point and says well i need to ask you to leave the table and um you know i'm so sorry we have guests here and this one lady says, uh, <laughs> we'll get up when we're ready. And the matron says, okay, but just, you know, I have the next reservation here, so I need to ask. And she goes, well, we'll get up in a few minutes. And when the matron walks away, the woman says, can you believe that? Oh, my God, I've never, I've been eating in restaurants in New York for this long, you know, blah, I mean, just on and on and on, F and this, F and that. And, uh, you know, so 10 minutes go by, and the matron comes again and says, I'm so sorry, I have another t- party. I have to give your table, so I need you to to um, you know, start heading out, and she's we will go when we're ready. And then again, f this, f that, f this, f that. So another ten minutes go by. The maitre d comes and she says, "I'm sorry, you have to leave now. You agreed that you would, you know, need to leave the table at a certain time. You haven't. I, I need to turn the table over. I have other guests waiting outside who are waiting to come into the restaurant. You need to leave." And uh, she starts telling her off the way the woman starts telling off the matri. I, I, I've been in going to restaurants my entire. I mean, a very New York. I've been going to restaurants my entire life, and this, you know, I, I've never experienced that accent sounded southern but i've never experienced anything like this and i can't believe it and who the f do you think you are and who that you know who's going to tell me that and do you know who i am and da, 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 which i didn't know who she was she wasn't anyway um she's someone beloved in the eyes of god but i didn't recognize her from tmc so this other at this other table this lady goes uh hey would you keep it down we're trying to eat over here and uh then the main you know the protagonist of the story goes up and she goes excuse me and who are you miss and then she says like well we're trying to eat here and all you can do is and then she says a swear word. All you can do is. I don't um, know that I'd count that as a swear word, but okay. Okay. So, um, so pretty soon before you know it, these two women are standing up in each other's faces, fingers out. It's real housewives of, of, of New York city. Just, and you know and and finally the protagonist is like oh, i don't need this I, I i don't need any of you people and storms out and and her dining companion is going along behind her and then so the woman at the other table goes uh goes uh real nice friend you got there you know so then they leave ah, and it's a little bit irony uh, right exactly Cutting. it's a little bit so the the woman's husband says uh uh well uh you know it's got a little tense in there i hope you hope you guys enjoyed the entertainment and i said uh well i thought you were gonna punch her and you know they had a laugh and we had a laugh and they had a laugh and the maitre d came out and she was so apologetic that she brought she comped our drinks for the whole meal and then she brought us all shots of this greek liqueur and we had a drink and we all it was a great camaraderie actually after that it was a really lovely you know that's that's great i hope that the the obvious epilogue to the story is that when it when the maitre d arrived with your check that you paid it tipped well and then stayed at your table until they came and told you they they need to turn the table over and you said i'll leave when i'm damn good and ready i'll leave when i'm ready no we you know be not wanting to uh incur not wanting to impose any more stress on the maitre d i suppose um or mistress d i really uh got out when we um got out when we were ready to get out i i'm fascinated to hear this as a human drama and I will be honest with you, J.D., this is what I assume just normal human interaction is on a minute-by-minute basis in New York City, which is why I don't go there. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Ed? Hi. We have been following for the past few years um, the story of money transferred from the the Holy See uh, to Australia, wired to Australia. uh, you may remember that last year um, there were headlines from other uh, publications, not our publication, suggesting that um, 
tens of millions, I believe, had been transferred. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, billions. unaccounted 2. for. Billions, 2.3 yeah, thank you. billion. Unaccounted for billions. 2.3 billions had been transferred from the Holy See to uh, to Australia. Um, and that Austrac, the Australian financial watchdog, had, had recorded this and had no record of it. And it might have been used for money laundering and very many other things. And then it turned out that was actually something of a clerical error. And 2.3 billion hadn't been transferred, wired from the Holy See to Australia. But 2.8 million had been wired from the Secretary of State to uh, a company in Australia, and we reported that. And in fact, we did some digging into it and identified the company and these kinds of things. Um, but there has been curiosity about what that $2.8 million authorized by Cardinal Angelo Betchu to be sent to an Australian company during the trial of Cardinal George Bell was for. And some people even speculated that Cardinal Betchu had intended it for nefarious purposes. This has been something discussed in the church and in Catholic media, that perhaps uh, Cardinal Betchu tried to it, interfere in the trial of Cardinal Bell with this money. But this uh, week... There were some new developments. That, that is true. I would just say as a, as a point of clarification, um, it was actually the Italian secular press that was the origin of, of this especially lurid speculation that I think it was... Uh, no, I'm, I'm 99% sure I'm correct on this. I think it was Fatto Quotidiano. No, it was Corriere del Ser. It was Corriere um, who actually wrote in print um, the speculation that the the money could have been for the paying off of false accusers and witnesses against Cardinal Pell in his trial in Australia. Now, um, as you say, we've been following this particular. Th- we, I mean, we followed in the course of the last few years, JD. Not only have we followed carefully the Vatican financial scandal and attendant issues, but we also followed Cardinal Pell's trial uh, very, very closely. We covered it very, very closely um, to the point where we got some nasty letters from the court in Australia about how closely we were following it. Um, so we've had our eyes on this for a while, and I I think we've both been clear on the podcast, I know I certainly have in the past, that this never really struck me as a plausible use of the funds, the idea that um, the Holy See, and in particular Cardinal Becci, was just you know wiring millions of dollars, Australian dollars, um, to to pay people to falsely accuse Cardinal Pell. I mean, parenthetically, known Cardinal Pell was falsely accused, albeit only by one person. Um, struck me as, as somewhat implausible and and not in the style of the people in the Holy See or in the Secretary of State or even in Cardinal Becciu himself or in people in his immediate order. It doesn't sound like their style. Yeah, not um, the world of Cardinal Becciu's universe. That's not how they do things. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, nevertheless, uh, it was because the... The act, well, I mean, it wasn't an accusation. Nobody said, this is what happened. It was just um, in the air. The speculation was in the air. Well, it was in the air and on the page. I mean, newspapers were printing this as speculation, saying it's possible that. And right. so once the question had been asked, it seemed reasonably pressing that we try and figure out what it was for. And at different times, Cardinal Pell has broken cover to say, this is an unanswered question. And I, for one, wouldn't mind having this matter put to rest and having a clear answer on why this money was sent and what it was for. Um, because I don't understand it. I've been given various excuses and explanations for it over the years, and none of them are true. In fact, they're usually pretty obviously not true. And so I I have a lingering question about this. And it seems there was a... (laughs) Well, we'll we'll, we'll get on to where this story appeared first and why in a minute. But there appeared uh, last weekend a a news item on a on a website that suggested that this money may have gone for the purchase of a so-called top-level domain name uh, on the internets which is like that, .com or .edu or .gov those are indeed. well-known top-level domains but a few years ago the internet regulators effectively allowed for more and new top-level domains to be indeed. registered and in this and case said the one this... of interest is .catholic Exactly. They said that you know the Holy See uh, was was purchasing the dot Catholic domain, and they were sending the money to this company in Melbourne, Australia, to arrange the purpose of, to arrange the application and registration of all of this with ICANN, which is the sort of international um, organization that handles all of this stuff. It's based in LA, I think. Uh, it's certainly in California, one way or another. And and they said this this is what it was for. And we have a document that proves it. And the document that they have that allegedly proved it was a letter in support of the acquisition of the .catholic domain from the Australian Bishops' Conference in support of a bid by the um, Pontifical Council for Social Communications. Um, I don't know that I found that document to be quite the smoking gun that 
the 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 people who first reported this claimed it to be, but it was enough that we you know said, well that's that's an interesting theory, not one we've considered. Let's look into it. And so we found the we dug up the application files for the registration of dot Catholic. We we read the application. We read the supporting materials. We found the letter from the Australian Bishops Conference. We found a similar one from the USCCB. We, even we found, found a price an, list. I mean, we found a pretty good price list, not only of getting these things but of maintaining them, like with yes. the fees that you owe to the. Yeah. Yes. And the process that one would go through to register, for example, dot Catholic, but also the equivalent of dot Catholic in different languages, Cyrillic, Chinese, Arabic, um, things like that. And, um, you know, it, this is this is back of an envelope maths, but I would say the numbers, broadly speaking, add up. It's at least plausible. We don't have receipts that suggest that this particular company was um, using this amount of money that was sent to it by the Secretary of State in this period of time for this. But, you know, we, we do know this company uh, in a previous iteration, it's been acquired a couple of times in recent years, um, was I mean, representing we, the Holy See. In, and we know that the Holy See bought the thing. We know that the Holy See bought the thing, right. owns the thing, we, maintains the thing, dot Catholic. Yes. We know what it cost and, and then dot Catholic and Mandarin and Arabic. So we know what it cost to get it. And yes. we have an idea of what it costs to mean. We know they probably, it seems, we found a draft 10-year contract. They probably have a 10-year agreement. We know what that costs. Um, we uh, we can add all that up. We don't have, as you say, sort of signed receipts. So we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of evidence, but not sort of conclusive proof that every that all of this money was for that purpose. But it sort of adds up. Yeah, and it yeah. it seems uh, it seems the most plausible explanation for it that I have yet heard. Which is lovely. Every mystery solved is um, one less thing we have to worry about. And you know, I, we have we have reported on um, this company, New Star, and these money transfers to it, uh, not infrequently. Well, no, infrequently, but uh, whenever there's something to report. You know, I think we've checked in on this story maybe two or three times a year uh, since it since it first came across our radar. And the reason for it being, um, Cardinal Betchu has has been. I would say extremely aggressive in his denials of this having anything to do with the trial of Cardinal Pell. He has been from the moment this sort of speculation first appeared in the Italian press, and yet it kept resurfacing. So we kept reporting on it, and we kept trying to figure out whatever it was there was there for us to figure out. Um, and so to, to have that closed now would be nice. Uh, but the timing of this story is very, very interesting, as is the manner of its appearance. And, and it raises a lot of questions. The story itself raises a lot of questions. If this was what the money is for, it's um, it's a puzzle in itself, albeit a different one. Yeah, it, it seems in some ways, it seems in some ways that that means that Cardinal Pichu, uh, it was it was a. It seems to indicate that the money was not being used for nefarious purpose. The question that it raises, and for a very ordinary purpose, a very reasonable, sort of legitimate purpose, of course the church would want to have that top-level domain. It makes sense. Um, it's not clear why Cardinal Betchu would have said that the money was um, being spent for something that has to do with um, with state secrecy, right? That it was a highly classified matter, a state secret, that uh, what the money was for, especially when he was facing, you know— serial allegations of using the money nefariously and even a brother cardinal asking well what was the money for um it's not sort of clear uh, other than sort of cardinal betchu's predilection for regarding matters as uh, as as relatively speaking state secrets um why he would do so and and in a certain way if if what it is is just a reflexive tendency to regard you know to say these things are state secrets it points to the challenge of overcoming i think a kind of um a kind of uh clericalist, I'm not saying this is true of all clerics, but it's true of the phenomenon of clericalism, a kind of clericalist sort of approach to the dissemination of information, which is to say, well, what do you need to know that for? This is a secret. Um, without even any consideration of that, a sort of, uh, a sort of aversion to, um, to openness that can, that can inhabit sort of clericalist circles. And, and, and should that be the sole reason why Cardinal Bachu said it was a state secret, it just reminds us that overcoming that for a sort of cultural transformation in which there's far more sort of openness about the governance of the life of the church, which Pope Francis has said he wants and which the USCCB have said they want and which every ecclesiastical official pretty much has said they want, really does have an uphill uh, an, an uphill um, road to hoe, as it were, um, because uh, because if it's just kind of reflexive, what do you need to know that for? I You know, everything's a state secret except on a need-to-know basis. Um, we see the scope of 
um, of the problem of, of approaching anything that resembles something that you might call transparency or you know accountability, even with regard you know with regard to finances. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Cardinal Betchu had called this uh, called these transfers and transactions um, state secrets. He called them classified. You know, all of this stuff, and which is somewhat clear, arbitrary. I mean, he decides that. Yes. Well, I you could make an argument that um, if you work in the curia, you sign. Um, a document that basically says you will keep confidentiality sure. about the things you work with. Um, but in this case, there's talk about pressing public scandal. I mean, the, when the only time Cardinal Betchu has said this is classified and I will not talk about it because it's top secret and it concerns high matters of state. These are all things he said because he said at first to us when we went to him for comment, when all of this stuff was floating around in the Italian press. And I we we went up to his lawyers and said, this looks ridiculous and we right. see the cardinal saying this is you know the outrageous and slanderous and scandal mongering and total speculation and no basis in fact and we said yeah we've never thought the cardinal paid off can you we, please yeah, right, tell yeah. us what it was for then so right. that we can mm-hmm. kill this then we yeah. can just put it to bed right. and they said absolutely not it's totally top secret it's like right. well that does have a tendency to fuel extra speculation you know yeah and it really it's it's, it's that's right i mean i i, I had kind of forgotten that but it's true i mean it is true that we had never thought that this was a uh, you know a, a reasonable idea that pell was or that uh, betchu was sort of trying to influence or pay off people in the pell trial it just didn't make it's just not occam's razor suggests otherwise in a, in a million ways um and i had forgotten that we had gone to betchu's attorney and said just well what was it for then and i forgot that we had been waved off as directly as that but yeah i mean it's just weird but the other thing that's uh, that the, the other set of questions that this raises is that the uh, what you might call the Perlaska problem, isn't that right. right? Yes, the Perlaska problem, because the the second time that anything was said about uh, this from Cardinal Betchu is when in December, when Cardinal Pell mentioned in an interview he gave, uh, he said, I, I would like to know what this money is for. I don't know what it's for. And Pell has repeatedly said over the years that he doesn't think and would hate to think that it could be for the sort of, you know, wildly outrageous accusations that were floated in the Italian press. But he said, I, I, I nevertheless would really like to know just so that we could answer the scandal of this and move past it and get it off the table. I suspect, and I don't know because I've never actually spoken to Cardinal Pell, but my suspicion is that he would like to stop being asked about it right. <laughs> as mm-hmm. much as anything yeah, sure. else. And so he said, I wish, you know, I have only one question for Cardinal Betchu, which is what was the money for? And he said, I've been told variously that it was for different things and none of them are true. And he specifically mentioned that Monsignor Alberto Perlasca, who used to run the administrative office in the Secretary of State and is the prosecution sort of star witness in the current trial, including against Cardinal Betchu. Apparently, Perlaska has told prosecutors in the past that the money that was sent to Australia was for Cardinal Pell, a contribution to Cardinal Pell's legal defense, which Cardinal Pell said, and he would know. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was for right. nothing of the kind. I received right. no such contribution. I, right. I suspect he'd welcome it. I imagine his legal bills are pretty hefty uh, after that ordeal. Although I suspect that Cardinal Pell has supporters who have paid off his legal bills. But sure, I, I'm sure he would have welcomed the money. Um but Be anyway, sure. so but, he asked, and at that point, um, th- this then raises the question, if this, if this was for the purchase of domain names, why would Perlaska say it was for something else right. that it manifestly wasn't for? That doesn't make any sense either. And if Perlaska is engaged in... Now, I mean, I want to I caveat this, JD, because what we know of what Perlaska has told prosecutors has been uh, very carefully curated. Right. That it has been, we have been treated to a series of leaked segments of video footage, and in some cases just audio footage, of Perlaska's hours and hours and hours of conversations with prosecutors and investigators. And those leaks have been targeted. Those leaks Mm -hmm. have been very selective and very carefully curated. And they were warned about at the Mm -hmm. beginning of this trial back in July last year, when the prosecution said, don't make us give over the whole raw footage because this will leak and it will involve a bunch of off-topic stuff that has nothing to do with this trial and is totally other to the charges that are being brought and it will touch on other criminal investigations that may be ongoing. Let us just deposit the parts that are relevant to the charges that we have laid and the arguments we'll be making in court. And the defense team fought against that and eventually won. And the prosecutor said, all right, fine, but this is going to leak and handed it over. And lo and behold, it started leaking and it's been a steadily dripping faucet ever since. So we don't actually know what Perlaska said about this, particularly in the context at which it was asked. And 
all of that. So it appears that's what Perlaska has told prosecutors it was for. Certainly Cardinal Pell thinks so. Certainly and Cardinal it does, Pell thinks it raises so. raises questions about why Perlaska yeah. didn't say that. But we, more interestingly for me, J.D. Hold on. Oh, please. I would like to hear what's more interesting than that, Ed, after a word from our sponsors. It's not easy being a Catholic fundraiser, but two of the things that can make it a lot easier are having a good community and the right tools to work with. That is absolutely right, Ed. And that is why Catholic development professionals, whether they work for parishes, campus ministries, Catholic high schools, any kind of Catholic apostolate really, should head down to the Petrus Development Conference 2022, June 13th through 15th at the Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida. You can register at petrusdevelopment.com PDC22. And if you use the code PILLAR, all capitals, you'll get $50 off your registration fee. And the first 10 people to register in the month of April will receive a $40 airport shuttle voucher. Ed, this sounds like a really cool conference at which one can build community with Catholic fundraisers and hang out in a cool beach location. It does seem like the sort of thing that people should do. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. And thank you to our sponsors for that message. Ed, you wanted to say a little bit more about Cardinal Bachu and his $2 million. I, I did. I, I can't begin to tell you how hard it was for me to hold this thought <laughs> when, when we went into the break, because we were actually talking about something else um, for a few minutes. Ed and, I t- Ed and I, during the commercial break, had a had a different conversation about a different thing we did uh, and it, for me to actually manage to hold on to the one point i wanted to make to finish this topic i i'm very proud of myself i'm, I'm proud not of you normally too. able did to you do, do that. it or are you stalling right now no no no. i, I did it. so no the only know. other thing i wanted to mention was that the timing of this is significant having not responded to questions about uh, this particular transaction with new star in the past, including when we asked him directly and asked him directly for the purpose, the, the stated purpose of saying so that we cannot talk about this ridiculous stuff that's in Corriere or wherever else anymore, uh, or when Cardinal Pell wrote to him, um, having having not discussed all of a sudden this story floats up now. Why now? And why on a I mean, I follow, J.D., the life of the church pretty carefully. I follow the comings and goings in the Vatican pretty carefully. I yield to no one my obsessive consumption of every word and detail that can be found anywhere to do with the current Vatican financial trial and attendance scandal. I will concede that I will concede to you on that. I have never heard of this website before. And all of a sudden, this it's sort of English version is called the Daily Compass, has this strangely detailed and pointed um, story suggesting that this was for the purpose of the purchase of the dot Catholic top level domain, and I found that fascinating. How did they Wait a come? You've to... never heard of Lenova Bosola Quotidiana? No. Oh, well, we pick stuff up from there every once in a while. No, but a I'm saying player, I, I, okay, I'm being hyperbolic, but I. Oh, okay, okay. I just wanted to make not, sure. It's it not is a not a. Re- they are not regularly breaking news on Vatican right. finances. My point. right. Right. This yeah. is not a story I would have expected to see there. In, in, Agreed. There, there was I just nothing wanted to make leading. sure that... Yeah, okay. Anyway. Why now? Why there? I I have no proof, and I would not want to suggest that I do have any proof that this particular story was leaked to that particular publication uh, at this particular time by perhaps someone currently on trial uh, in Vatican City. But I do think it is interesting. I would call it a significant coincidence that this story floated up a week after Pope Francis dispensed Cardinal Becciu from the pontifical secret in relation to evidence he is expected to give at the trial in Vatican City. Um, I wonder, and again, I'm musing out loud, I wonder if this um, doesn't herald the first of several stories that will be that will suddenly pop up in unexpected places on unexpected topics that appear to uh, dispel some confusion around the financial affairs of Cardinal Betchu over the last several years. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's worth noting that when 
Pope Francis. So Cardinal Betchu gave evidence in, in mid-March uh, in front of the judges. He answered questions and everything. We talked about it. And he gave this sort of assertion of innocence. And then he said, okay, now that we've talked about the accusations that pertain to me effectively, embezzling church funds to members of my family, which he strongly denied, said, I can't talk about anything else because it's all pontifical secret. It's all super secret. Couldn't possibly. And the judges said, that's fine. Thank you. You are dismissed. Please come back uh, in, in a week or two. And we will have clarity from the Secretary of State and Pope Francis on whether or not you are bound by the pontifical secret and all this. And Pope Francis said, no, he's not. He's free to answer any and all questions. And suddenly his uh, legal team found a scheduling conflict mm-hmm. for the Cardinal. That's right. That's right. Is he needs out a little of, time, it seems. He's, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that they found a scheduling conflict. I, I'm, I'm not otherwise aware that Cardinal Betchu has a busy schedule right he, now. He doesn't, for example, have a job or an assignment. Uh, I mean, he has faculty, so maybe he's on the confirmation. It is confirmation season, Ed. Maybe he's on the old... The old chrism trail, as they call it. Right, but that would have been that would have been set already. I mean, the date was previously agreed and announced with the court. I and it was it's only... also a weekday uh, in the morning. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I haven't been uh, to a lot of weekday morning confirmations. No, so it, it it was curious that his that his team suddenly discovered a scheduling error once the Pope said no, he's mm-hmm. free to answer any and all questions, and they said, well, we're going to need another month. You're going to have to reschedule and push this back a month, which mm-hmm. the judges did, and. Uh, I have often thought, and it's actually been an analysis I've been meaning to write, but I keep pushing it for other things that are more pressing and time-sensitive, uh, to write about what Cardinal Vecchi probably tends to, intends to do with his month off, uh, that he's, you know, I think would be well advised to take the time to revisit his courtroom strategy, because I think it's pretty clear that for the last seven months, his strategy has been... I can say nothing and I will say nothing and you can't make me. And that's no longer the case. And so he's going to have to decide what he's going to say, what questions he's going to answer and how he's going to answer them. And I think many of those questions will not necessarily be on issues perhaps quite as out there as there's some of the speculation on these new star transactions. They will touch on much more pointed things like the claim of his former quote-unquote personal spy, Cecilia Moragna, to have compiled dossiers of compromising information on the moral failures of senior curial officials for Cardinal Betchew, things like that. And I wonder if the if the month between now and when he next appears at the beginning of May uh, won't, won't see the ground being softened slightly before his appearance, if we won't see other similar stories uh, appearing in, in different I Italian that will be the case. media outlets uh, purporting to show that there was never any trouble in any of this, and this is all a put-up job, I, I would be fascinated to see it. But of course, more interestingly for me is as the questions from the judges perhaps get a little bit closer to the bone in all of this, and you, you know, not talking about some of the more wild accusations right. that, by the way, aren't in the indictment anyway, um, as we get closer to those questions, I wonder what else Cardinal Betchu might be minded to say, because, and I know this from having spoken to him myself in the past, uh, prior to the trial, but certainly when the, the, the Secretary of State's financial scandal was in full swing, Cardinal Betchu has always I been very clear to tell. the last time we talked with Cardinal Betchu was, a, what, um, oh, the last time I talked with Cardinal Betchu was in, in June of last year. I told him we were coming to Rome and asked him if we could have dinner. And he also, he had a scheduling conflict at that moment as well, but he was extremely apologetic. But I think you were talking with him around the same time about some of these things right before the indictment. Uh, there was that. I mean, I actually, the last time I heard from him was, I think, about two months ago when I printed a story about developments in, oh, right, in right, Newstar. Right, right, and right, he right, wrote right. to tell me he was outraged that I continued to right, cover right, the right. story. And I reiterated my previous invitation to please just tell me what the money was for, and I will print that immediately. And, you know, yes, we, yes. Uh, and he declined. Anyway, um, but I know from having spoken to Cardinal Betchu in the past that his his mentality with regards to discussing what goes on in the Curia is fairly absolute. I would say it is a kind of bureaucratic omerto. You, you just don't say anything. And I wonder to what extent he will consider the Pope waiving the pontifical secret in his case as he's facing charges to be a kind of betrayal. I don't think that... I think the chances that Cardinal Becci will view this as having been thrust out of the tent and left on his own uh, to be not zero. I think it's very possible he will take this as a as a betrayal and, a, and an abandonment by the curial service that he has repeatedly said, and I believe him to be sincere in having said it, dedicated his life to serving. 
And if he decides that he's on his own and all bets are off, he might tell some very interesting stories. And he might contextualize, for example, matters around not the... Um, the accusations around the sort of final part of the London deal and the genuine Tortsy stuff, because that that pertains to his successor, Archbishop Pinapara and things, but how they first came to be investing all of this money, which was borrowed, um, in in these suspect investments in the first place. I wonder if he won't have some interesting things to say about well. People did know what I was up to. People did know I was authorizing it. In fact, it was their idea or they authorized it too. And, you know, I wonder if this isn't going to end up touching uh, secretaries of state personally, uh, current and former. Indeed. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Cardinal Betchew ended up um, having a lot to say about the the role of Cardinal Paroline in this or even Cardinal Bertone, Paroline's predecessor, whose tenure was, shall we say, not completely free of not completely free of financial scandal right its own set of financial scandals that's right indeed so i i think this is all this is all to be all to be seen but i i suspect this is not the first story of this kind we will read before may 5th when the cardinals do back in court and i suspect we will it will it will be must see tv when he's back in court i i really am interested to see how that goes yeah, it's really interesting because, um, you know, n- now that Cardinal Pachu is willing to answer questions about things which are relatively simple, uh, you know, in a certain way, from the perspective of uh, that that sort of speculation about the um, what was done with the money, I mean, we're the first ones to say uh, that there is a set of things for which Cardinal Pachu must answer for, and yet at the same time, kind of um, speculation beyond reason about um, you know, sort of trial payoffs and these kinds of things um, is is not is not fair um, to him. Is not just and um, and at the same time was preventable. And you know, it's interesting that uh, that now he he clearly has no opposition in principle um, to explaining these things because now it is happening. Um, but uh, but had he done it before, I wonder kind of what would have what would have um. um I wonder if things would have. I mean, he he would have been indicted because of the very clear evidence of uh, you know of the things that uh, that that he should be indicted for. Um, but um, I wonder if he would have better recovered um, th- the truth and the integrity of his reputation on things which he's been calumniated for that are not true. If he had been willing to do what he's willing to do now, then yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I. But I mean, again, this is the, and this has certainly always been true from the scandal right through to the trial and. It was true, and Cardinal Betchew said as much. Albeit, I think he took a different um, view of it than I than I would and other people, and certainly the prosecutors do in his first round of testimony. Which is so much of this trial is about culture and what is accepted and what is expected and what is done, regardless of whether or not it's in the best interests of the Church or the Holy See um, or the faithful or anything like that. And you know, I think what we are going to see in this trial. And this is, you know, it feels like it's been going on for forever, but it hasn't. You know, the trial proper has been going on for basically a month and a half at this right. point. Yeah. And there's a lot there's a lot of time left on the clock here. I think one of the things we are definitely going to see over the coming months is a very uncomfortable spotlight being thrown on the sort of office culture of the Secretary of State. And that, I think, is going to is going to generate a lot of these questions over and over again. And and explain some of the reason for the kind of um, financial consolidations um, uh, that the Holy Father was keen to do in Predicate Evangelium. I just mean I, th- I mean just make more clear. I think why some of the uh, some of the consolidations, some of the budgetary requirements, some of the changes that are contained in Predicate Evangelium are actually probably a first step towards curial reform, rather than a be all end all of the whole to do. Yes. Yeah. Well, curia reform has no has no end. Has no beginning and has no end. It's true, um, but there's a, but I think even by the time predicate is implemented, it, it will be clear what a next round of things will look like. I mean, part of which is just clarity about who, the um, in whose in, who in whose interest financial administration is undertaken, what it means or what it doesn't mean to be a fiduciary to have fiduciary responsibility to the Holy See, um, how. An ordinary conception of fiduciary responsibility, which is which is correlated to, you know, sort of um, 
maximal fiscal efficiency is assessed in a context in which sort of moral, clear moral, there are clear moral obligations with regard to the administration of temporal goods. I mean, all right. of that. But, but even looking back, I think what, oh, sorry, I've interrupted you. I, I beg your pardon. No, please. It's perfectly fine. I, in fact, I'd like to hear what you'd have to say. Um, no, what I was going to say is, for me, the, the litmus test of the of this trial, and, and I have to say the competence of the prosecutors, is going to be their ability to simply press home the case that laws were broken. There's, you know, there's all of this sort of, you know, speculation about, you know, conspiracy and all these lurid allegations about, you know, extortion and prostitutes being offered and spies and all this sort of stuff, which is great if you're writing Godfather 4. Mm-hmm. But... I, I the, the, there are basic in the in the course of the last ten years in the Secretary of State, it is pretty clear, and I've heard it from the mouths of senior officials, up to and including Cardinal Paroline and Cardinal Betchew at different times, that laws were broken, right. that things that were express- actually up to and including the Holy Father. Well, I haven't heard it from his mouth, but I mean, we, I mean, he said it. We've watched. Well, he has said it. it, but I mean, in okay, to me. fair um, That, for example, when APSA advanced a commercial loan to the secretary mm-hmm. of state to bail out right. a hospital. Right. Um, that was a violation of Vatican law. That was a violation of money vault agreements. That was a violation of European bank. Like the laws were broken and everybody just kind of looked at me and I said, what's your problem? It was for a hospital. And it's like, but the law was broken. Mm-hmm. That's, that is the definition of corruption. And especially of financial corruption is when you just wave away the fact that something was illegal on three levels because, well, it was expedient. It's what we wanted to do. What's your problem anyway? And it's the same kind of mentality that led to the IOR being pressured to refinance the 100 million, 150 million euro mortgage on this London building. It was like, well, who the heck are you to say no to us? We just told you this is what we want to do. So do it nasty little banker man otherwise we're going to bug your phones and or right. and hire some italian spooks to dig over your private life right like I, laws were broken and right. that, you know the rest of it is just you know we'll make we'll make a great film adaptation but i i would like to see the letter of the law prosecuted on this yeah agree absolutely great well you're all worked up now and it's monday thursday so you've got to i know you've got to take a walk and there's a bobcat there's a bobcat outside of ed's house and so he's staying inside because he doesn't want to be attacked by the bobcat is that right you were telling That's, me before the show that there's a bobcat outside. Uh, no, I was saying that because I we only record this podcast for an hour and change one day a week. Um, there's always something that happens outside my house. And right exactly now is a bobcat. I mean, that's pretty... Yes, of the mechanical kind, J.D., the, the sort oh. of mini bulldozer thing. Oh, come on. Yeah, You it's told digging. me bobcat. No, my, uh, we have some new neighbors across the road, and they... <laughs> they um, the bobcats. No, they, their their driveway. I don't think this is them uh, sort of affecting immediate cosmetic change to the house they've bought and moved into. But I, I think there's some problem with the gas line or something. The they, sewer line. Yeah, that's. I think that's what it is. Anyway, they're digging oh, up that's their driveway. The worst. It's so expensive. Oh, that's the worst. Well, it's also really inconsiderate if your neighbor's trying to record a podcast. <laughs> but that sewer line replacement is the worst. Everybody's got to do it. I had to do it in a house. I'm gonna have to do it in this house. I'm gonna pray for your neighbors and uh, and I hope you can be charitable to them and to their bobcat. Um, because that's uh, that's that costs so much money, and it feels like you shouldn't have to do it. Feel it's just oh, it's infuriating. What costs the money? Well, um, a, a very large hole, ha- a very large trench has to be dug. In this case, uh-huh. um, through the driveway, and right. uh, which means effectively the driveway needs to be replaced um, or okay. or repaired shabbily. Right. Um, and then a large bit of pipe needs to be extracted and the pipe is uh, sewery and and so they charge a premium because they're extracting a pipe through which a, a broken fair. pipe through which sewer stuff I flowed. guess what I'm asking JD is you're you strike me as a as a can do sort of dude no, and, and I wonder it. if part of you wasn't tempted to just hire a jackhammer and 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 start the process yourself save them the initial excavation Oh, have you ever dug a very long, very deep <clears throat> trench? Yes. And as you probably know, then it's the worst. Yes. I mean, yeah, there's no. a reason we use it as punishment in some prison systems. Right. Exactly. No, I, I, I have, I have done almost all home renovations that can be done by a guy with a can-do attitude and a drill. I have, you know, done a lot of demolition work. I have replaced all manner of bathroom fixtures. I have done tile work. I've done cabinetry replacement. And I don't really even know what I'm doing, but I do it anyway. I've put up fences and taken down fences. Any number of bits of home repair I've done to save a buck because I am a cheap, cheap fellow. 
But uh, but every aspect of this sewer line replacement project just stinks. Now, what you can do to forestall it is, <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about this, but what you can do to forestall it is to rent from Home Depot a very large uh, a, a snake, a drain snake, not the kind that you have at home just for like a clog, but a, a large one, that's pneumatic, and, uh, and clean out the sewer line, you know, every six months or something like, take the toilet effectively off in a, ba- in a or, or use a, if you have a drain line in the basement or, or clean out even better. But if you have a clean out, you probably have done this project already, so you don't have to do it, but you can forestall it. Um, but it, it's inevitable that if you, if you live in a, a house that was, uh, where the sewer line was put in before the pipes were PVC and is, there's a clay pipe there, you're going to have to do it and it's going to cost you a bunch of, bunch of bucks. Well, <clears throat> I learned Which something. Which is why I'm grateful for uh, the sponsor of this week's episode. This episode of the Pillar Podcast was brought to you by the 2022 Petrus Development Conference. Join Catholic fundraising professionals in Naples, Florida this June to build the tools and community that makes fundraising enjoyable and fulfilling. For more details and to register, go to PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22, PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22, and use coupon code PILLAR in all capital letters, PILLAR in all capital letters, for $50 off your conference registration. And Ed, it has been great uh, talking with you, and um, I hope you have a great Holy Week. I hope you do too. Enjoy the Triduum, JD. great Triduum. We're having a Holy Week. Yeah, have a blessed Triduum, and dear listeners, we will be praying for you and for your families and for your parishes uh, and for all of those um, you love and for... Uh, all of those who you love and who are faithfully departed have a um, have a blessed Triduum. Christ is risen. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, JD Flynn. I'm joined by my podcasting partner and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon. We'll be back next week for an extravaganza Easter week episode of the Pillar Podcast. Mm-hmm.